0: All righty, let us pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this awesome, amazing day. You are holy and you are righteous and you are true. Father, thank you for the incredible weather you've been giving us, man, watching the trees change over this past month and even the sunshine, even the time change for those of us who love mornings and those of us who even desire to have longer nights. Father, we thank you for the changes seasons in seasons and your creativity. And Holy Spirit, we ask now, That you would pour your presence, your love, Father, into our hearts in a new, fresh way. That I would say only what you want, nothing else. Jesus, that you would bring encouragement and strength and conviction. Lord Jesus, you bring transformation into our hearts. And Lord, open our eyes to see your truth in this passage here in Philippians. There is a very well-known verse in this passage that we know probably by memory. And Philippians is like a huge spiritual hug. There are some amazing verses and passages and words of encouragement that you, Holy Spirit, speak to us through the Apostle Paul, through this passage. And I, we pray that you would bring encouragement and strength and comfort and conviction and healing transformation. But above all, glorify the name of Jesus in our lives today. Lord, we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen, amen. and amen. If you put your eyes up on the screen, the past five weeks, we've been going through our values as a church The five values that we have our mission statement, which is that blue sign out on our chapel. It's engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of who? Oh, Jesus Christ, not Buddha, not Confucius, not Doug, but of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime with anybody. And within that, we have these five values of the gospel first and always, of being uniquely called, of intentional innovation, of crossing cultures, and then multiplication matters. That's what we've looked at over the past five weeks. We are getting ready to dive into Christmas season. Who has their Christmas tree up already? Raise your hand. I know a couple of you guys are. All righty. Yes. I know people who put them up in September. I have a rule in our house not to after Thanksgiving. Okay, but that's still hard. But we're getting ready to hit Advent and Christmas. And so we have a couple of these weeks right before we hit Advent, which is the 28th of November. It's the first Sunday of four Sundays before Christmas, where we will be preparing our hearts for the celebration of Christmas and remembering that Jesus comes again. So today and next week, we're going to hit most of Philippians chapter four. And right here in Philippians four, if you open your Bibles or turn your smartphones back on, you'll see it on the screen. It's what Richard read to us today. Philippians four verses 10 through 14. And today we're going to talk about contentment. And there's three questions I want to ask. The first one is this. Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Think about it. Is there a difference between happiness and joy? If so, what is it? The second question is this. How do you or how do we find joy and contentment in any circumstance, especially the hard ones? How do you find joy and contentment in any circumstance, especially the hard ones? How do we find it? The third question is this. Where do you need Christ's strength this week? In the context of being content, where do you need Christ's strength this week? You see, with contentment, many believe their happiness is contingent on their circumstances. I know I do. However, God wants something more for us than just happiness. He wants us to have joy and to learn what it means to be content. Paul provides a game-changing approach to true contentment. My, my next question is this. What does contentment mean? If you had to explain, what does contentment mean? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says it's the state of being satisfied, happy, or at ease. And I put a question mark there. That's my typo. That's my dyslexia. Contentment is the state of being satisfied, happy, or at ease. The state of being satisfied. Contentment is the state of being satisfied. If someone were to ask you a question, are you content? How would you answer What would you say today? And then my next question is this. How many of your friends and the people you know struggle with contentment? 20%, 50%, 80%. What would you say? I'll tell you a couple stories I have living in Mexico. When I moved to Mexico in 1995, I lived in this tiny little apartment up above our church. And it was an aluminum siding building. There was no insulation. In December and January, it would get below freezing at night, and it would get up to about 60, 65 in the day. It would get so cold in that tiny little apartment room that I lived in, and I wanted to live there because it was in the neighborhood where we served. It would get so cold that the water in the toilet would freeze over. I'd have a tiny little space heater. Now remember, I asked for this. I asked our mission board, let me live in the church apartment. I will live there. I'll watch over the building, but I want to live with the people, be with the people. You know, Jesus became, you know, God in the flesh. He was one of us. And I thought I need to follow Jesus' example. So I lived in this aluminum siding building. Now here was the scoop. There were two tiny Bedrooms on each side, and then this tiny little kitchenette dining room area. Now the bedrooms, the roof was slanted, and so I had about one step before the roof started to go low. And then I would I slid my bed up under, up under the angle, so I'd sleep there. But then the roof literally is right here, and so I had about a ten foot walkway, about three feet wide, where I could stand in my apartment bedroom like this, and I walked into the little kitchenette, and then the little bathroom. And I remember telling myself, if only I had an apartment where the ceiling actually went eight, nine feet up and I didn't have to duck down because see, there was these huge steel rafters that were inside my bedroom. And every once in a while, if I turned the wrong way, bam, especially if it was night and I woke up in the middle of the night. And I remember thinking, if only, if only I had a regular apartment. Now remember who asked to live there? I did. But I was, if only, I got married and Christy and I built this small little house, regular house. It wasn't big, but it was a nice house. And I thought, if only I had a tiny little yard. You see, in Mexico, most people didn't have yards, didn't have green grass. We had this tiny little patio. It was eight feet by eight feet by eight feet. And I tried to plant grass in it. It wouldn't grow. If only I had a little bit of yard, I would be happy. I would be content. Right next to our house was a tiny little lot that was nine yards by 18 yards. No one was living there. We bought that lot and put a huge brick wall around it. Went up about 25 feet and we planted grass. Guess what I started to say? If only our yard was twice this size. If only. Have you ever done that? Have you ever if only yourself? If only my paycheck was just a little bit more. If only my teacher was this. If only my kids were that. If only I had this. Who struggles with if only? Raise your hand. Let's be honest. Oh, if your hand isn't up, you rather are a superhero, Marvel, comic, DC, something rather, or maybe you're not quite being. Let's raise your hands. Who struggles with if only? Raise them high. Be honest. If only. If only this, if only that. You see what's happening? Another struggle that finally Jesus, I think, has sacrificed in my my mind was the if only of professional baseball. You see, I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was the 1980s LeBron James version. The problem was I was short, slow, couldn't run, but I couldn't jump either but I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. And I quit every sport just to play basketball. I got down to Mexico, and my best sport was baseball. And for years, if only I hadn't quit baseball, maybe I wouldn't be here in this desert in the middle of nowhere. If only this, if only I hadn't blown out my knee. If only, if onlys, we can if only ourselves to death Right here, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. You see, we live in a culture today where many of us live with the if onlys. And if you pay attention to anything on the news or to your friends or social media, everyone is a victim. In fact, in today's day and age, we try to put huge badges on ourselves who is a bigger victim? And we blame anything and everybody and everyone for our struggles, for our problems, except for maybe ourselves, or maybe we don't even speak truth to ourselves about the situation and circumstances we're in. You see, we all are victims of other people's decisions, especially other people's uh, sinful decisions. We do suffer those consequences. At the same time, we suffer our own consequences of our own decisions, And sociologists say that we actually have control anywhere from 60 to 80% of our daily lives. So that leaves 20 to 40% of our life, we're suffering the consequences of other people's decisions. But many times we actually struggle and we suffer the consequences of our own decisions. And sometimes those decisions were made five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, sometimes yesterday. But we have to walk that tension of what is biblical truth. The reality is that we reap what we sow. At the same time, we live in a very sinful, dark, evil world where we will be faced with trials, temptations, tribulations, spiritual attack. And we don't live in some super bubble where God keeps us immune from evil that happens each and every day. And so there's this tension that I want to be very careful today because what I don't want to communicate is everything bad that is happening to you is your fault. Absolutely not. At the same time, we will walk, as you guys know, and as every one of us has confessed, we walk in a very dark, difficult, hard world where we will suffer And some of our suffering is from our own consequences of our own decisions. But many times it's because of other people's sinful, horrible decisions. And so when we go back to not only if onlys, but we go back to contentment. How do we live a life of contentment in this day and age? Right here, Philippians chapter four, verses 10. Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you remembered your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being what? Content. Whether well-fed or hungry, Whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Praise the Lord, right? Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. Quick question. How many of you guys have kind of come into a room and maybe your spouse or your brothers or sisters or friends are watching a movie that you've never seen? And you walked right into the middle of the movie and you're like, oh, I want to sit and watch this. But you've missed the first half. Who's done that? And for the rest of the movie, you're trying to catch up. Okay, what happened? Now, who's that? Now, who's this? Sometimes my kids will come down. I'll be watching some show. Margie, Eric, and I are into into Survivor. So we're watching old Survivors that I've already watched once. And I'm watching again with them. And sometimes they'll miss part of it. And they'll come down and be like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And I'm like, she just got to watch. Just watch. And I'm getting annoyed, but they're trying to catch up. The reality is because we're jumping right here into Philippians 4, verses 10, We might be wondering, okay, wait, what in the world is going on? Paul's talking about rejoicing, and you guys have shown your concern for me, and I've learned to be content, and I can do all things through Christ. Paul's thanking the Philippians. What's going on here? Let me give some context. If you want to read Mary, There's Homework, Acts chapter 16. Paul helped start the church at Philippi, the Philippian church. He helped start that church. He stayed there for three months. It's an amazing church. And if you read Acts chapter 16, you'll see an incredible story of how this church got started. There are some powerful believers that God raised up in this church. Paul left, continued his travels. And then if you read the last couple chapters of Acts, you will see that Paul got arrested for being a Christian. Nothing else. He was arrested in Jerusalem the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. In fact, dozens of men made a vow that they would not eat until they did kill him. Paul appeared, uh, he, uh, um, what's the word? he appealed to Caesar, which a Roman citizen could do. And as a result, they had to send him to Rome in order to appeal to Caesar, to have Caesar's court in a courtroom. And you can read Acts chapter 26, 27 and 28. They finally get them on a boat to sail to Rome. There's a hurricane. The boat is lost. They almost die. It takes months to get to Rome. And at the very end of chapter 28 of Acts, Paul is still under house arrest. It's not a dark, dungy prison, which is his second imprisonment. But it's a house arrest. But he is chained 24-7 to Roman soldiers. He has some freedom, but not complete freedom. And he's also dependent upon the support for food, money, clothing from friends and relatives. And while he's in this prison, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. So that is Paul's predicament. He's been in jail for several years. Now we know the story. According to tradition, he was released and then arrested later on and then beheaded. But right now he's in jail. He's suffering. He doesn't know if he's going to get out. Many of the churches that he started are beginning to distance themselves from Paul. Some are beginning to criticize Paul and doubt His apostolic leadership, most notably the Corinthian church. Have you ever had anybody malign you, gossip you, slander you, criticize you, reject you? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been the center of gossip and slander? Have you ever lost dear friends who you were close to and they reject you and they don't want to have anything to do with you? Or you hear from the grapevine that they're slandering your name and gossiping about you and criticizing you? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been beaten or whipped for being a Christian? Have you ever been stoned to death for being a Christian? Have you ever been shipwrecked for being a Christian? Have you ever had to flee from one city to another another city for being a believer? Has that ever happened to you? Stand up if it has. This is Paul's life. And churches that he has started are beginning to slander his name. They're beginning to doubt him. And there he is languishing in prison. And he's hearing reports of certain believers growing in the faith, but many languishing in the faith. He's beginning to hear reports from believers, the gossip. You see, the gossip in church has always been around. That is Paul's predicament. That is the context of Philippians chapter four. But right here, what does Paul say? And there's four impressions I get when I read this passage. The first one is this, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. The second one is that word, contentment, and we've asked about it. Are your friends content? Are you content? Have we learned what it means to be content in all circumstances? The third impression I get when I read this passage is Paul's declaration. I can do all things in Christ. Now, that's a favorite quote for many of us. I can do all things through Jesus. I used to quote that all the time in practice in high school and in college when I played basketball. I can do all things. I can do all things. That was a very self-centered quote to me. I wasn't thinking a whole lot about the glory of Jesus in my life, but more getting through practice where I wouldn't puke or pass out. The fourth impression is this, empathy. Not just sympathy, but empathy. Let's look at all four of these. The very first one, Paul says this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about, about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. You see, out of all the churches, the Philippian church, they love Paul. They loved him dearly. And when they heard that he was in prison, they were trying to figure out a way. How could they support Paul? And so they sent, the, sent a man named Epaphroditus, say it, Epaphroditus. That's a big tongue twister, isn't it? They sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to Rome to find Paul. And they brought food, they brought money, and they brought a whole lot of encouragement. Epaphroditus got there and he stayed with Paul for a while. And he encouraged Paul. He prayed with Paul. And he told Paul all about what God was doing back in the Philippian church. And he brought supplies for Paul. What an encouragement. Think about it when you're deeply encouraged by another brother or sister in the faith. And not only encouraging you, but they provide for you. And as a result, Paul writes the Philippians back to the Philippian church, and he writes this letter to them, saying, "Thank you so much." In fact, earlier in this book, in Philippians chapter one, Paul talks about this. He's encouraging the Philippians, saying, "Don't be discouraged, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm in jail." Don't be discouraged. He says in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, look at what Paul says. If you want to flip over to chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, Paul says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Think about it. Paul's in jail. He's been in jail for at least two years. And he says, what's happened to me has advanced the gospel. What's he talking about? He says this so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Not just some low-life Roman soldier, but the imperial guard, Caesar's imperial guard. It's become to the whole, known to the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because of Christ. You see, they can chain Paul, but do you think they shut him up? Absolutely not. I asked this a couple weeks ago, but Paul is chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Who do you think is really imprisoned? Paul or that Roman soldier. But he's not going to beat him overhead with the Bible. Absolutely not. He's going to love these soldiers. And he's going to talk to them. Gospel conversations. He's going to pray for them and with them. Can you imagine the first couple of weeks these Roman soldiers? Whoo, it's your turn now. I'm out of here. And they're out. But day after day as they come back to Paul and as they rotate Roman, all these Roman soldiers, did he have just four? Did he have six? Did he have eight? Did he have 12? Notice I'm dividing 24 by an even number, you know? But Paul says the entire imperial guard knows that I'm only in jail because of Jesus. So instead of languishing in prison, Paul is making the most of every opportunity. Now, Paul is human. We know he had dark days of assault. I can imagine him questioning Jesus, why and how long and when can you set me free? Come on, Lord. And then here comes Epaphroditus with support and encouragement from one of the few churches that are standing up cheering Paul on saying, we love you and we're with you. And so Paul writes back. So right here in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. And all throughout the book of Philippians, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. Rejoicing in the Lord is a command. How do we do that? How do we rejoice in the Lord? We talk about it. But how do we rejoice in the Lord? And this is part of that contentment. how do you rejoice in Jesus? As we were singing today, and I don't know if you'll be. can you guys pull up the songs, Chris? Is that easy to do? Build my life, or great is thy faithfulness? Sorry, I'm springing one on the team back there. Sorry, guys. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. This is build my life. Is that what it's called? And we sing this, and I know for some of us, we're like, let's hurry up and get through the singing so we can get to the real stuff, the proclamation of the word. But look at these lyrics, worthy of every praise we could ever sing. Worthy of uh, every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. What is this song doing? Are we singing about us or are we singing about him? We're singing about him. Yes, we talk about us a little bit, but we're singing about him, worthy of every breath I could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. You see, Romans 12, one says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then we live for you. So we're declaring, Jesus, you are worthy. You're the only one worthy. So I'm gonna offer myself to you. I'm gonna live for you. And then we go on, holy, there is no one like you. There's none beside you. Open my eyes and wonder. You see, we don't come just to sing a few songs and then hear the word and then move on. We come to worship and to praise and to have an encounter with our heavenly father. But in order to do that, we must focus our mind and our heart, our whole body, our spirit and soul on him and encounter him. And that we rejoice. How does Paul in prison, languishing in prison, how does he rejoice? How can he say that I rejoice in you? It's by focusing on him and him only. So we sing this song and then we jump over into Great is Thy Faithfulness, one of the greatest hymns ever written. Hundreds of years old. And Chris, if you could pull that up, it would be great. Then we have Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. That means God is faithful. He does what he says and he says what he does. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, now this is some old King English here. Thy compassions, they fail not as thou hast been, thou forever will be. You see, in our modern day age right now, so much revolves around how we feel right here, right now. And our contentment is not based on our circumstances and it's not based on our happiness. God did not create us to be happy. He's created us to be holy. Holy. And one of the greatest lies I see in public is I see and hear many parents say, I just want my kids to be happy. Oh, that's a lot. No, 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 no. I want my kids to be holy. Holy means set apart. And there's a major difference between being happy and content. And so these songs, and there's numerous ways of worship, but one of the greatest ways of worship, it's focusing on him and him alone. And I'm going to jump to Psalm 150, verse two, Chris. Psalm 150, verse two. It's ironic that this is, no, it's not. It's Psalm 119, but this one right here. Look at what the psalmist is saying. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. What type of greatness? Oh, what? Abundant. We praise him for who he is and we praise him for what he does. And if you're struggling with contentment or even rejoicing, I want to encourage you and I'm encouraging myself to focus on him. Focus on the Lord Jesus. And every time the temptation for your circumstances or how you're feeling or what's going on in life, surrender it to him. It doesn't necessarily mean that our life will change, but it's where you put the magnifying glass of your heart and mind, what you put it onto. Because if we put the magnifying glass of our heart and of our mind onto our problems, it only they will only seem to become bigger and we'll be consumed by them. And the word for magnifying glass in Spanish is lupa. Say it, lupa. Maybe that's Mexican Spanish, lupa but put the lupa of your mind and on your heart upon him and who he is. Now that doesn't mean that we just ignore the issues in our life. Remember that spiritual tension. We reap what we sow, but on the other side of that circle of truth is we do suffer grave consequences because we live in a dark, evil world. Paul was in prison. And yet he's encouraging the Philippians, rejoice and he shows us, rejoice. Paul then moves on to these next two couple of verses here where he says, He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. These two verses here, they challenge me because I have not learned how to do this. But Paul continues, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And I'm like, whew, I can't say that. I can't do that yet. But I want to encourage you and ask you, take your life, your past, your future, your situation, and pass it through the litmus test of these two verses here. And if you can't say the same thing that Paul did, ask the Holy Spirit, teach me, show me how to be content in you. Now, I do know this. It starts with praise and it starts with worship and it starts with us focusing on him and his promises and who he is. I do know that because I find myself getting worked up. I've got a huge full day today. My wife is out of town and Eric, my middle son, is sick at home. And my brain is going in a thousand different directions. Driving up here early this morning, Margie and I are driving up. We're praying for everyone. We're listening to music. We're talking. And the Lord just kept telling me, you need to rest in me and trust in me with all the details for today. Okay. Let me start with you, Jesus, first. Paul says, I know what it means to have and I know what it means to lack. More homework, Mary. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. If you want to know what Paul was suffering and what he had suffered, meditate on this chapter. And yet Paul still says, I've learned what it means to have and not have. And then he goes into that verse, I'm sure most of us have memorized. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember, it is Jesus who gives us the strength, the strength to resist temptation, the strength to walk through the trials, the strength to walk a holy, humble, love-filled, obedient life. And it's not because of us. It's because of Jesus who lives in us. And then Paul says this here in verse 14. He then says, he says, still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship." You see, if we're honest, these four aspects, these four impressions, rejoice, contentment, all things in Christ, empathy. Jesus is the epitome of every single one of these things. Jesus is the the epitome of joy, of rejoicing. It's him. He is our joy. He is our strength. Jesus is the one. It's the very presence and essence of Jesus. He is the one that gives us contentment. We walk, and many of us, especially us younger ones, we walk in FOMO, fear of missing out, who I used a millennial term. And we're so afraid we're going to miss out. We're so afraid we're going to miss the next shiny thing. But it is Jesus and only Jesus. Our life experiences, our paycheck, our friendships, our careers, all that, are just shadows. The only thing that's left is Jesus. And right here, this last epitome, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18. More homework, Mary. No, I'm just teasing. For those who don't know, Mary Barnes always tells me that she reads the chapters and verses that I say. So if you're wondering, I'm always picking on Mary Barnes. She, She actually reads what I challenge. So it's kind of a joke. Hebrews chapter two, it'll be on the screen. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus and how amazing Jesus is and the fact that he shared our blood, he shared our our flesh. He was tempted and tried in every way. And it says here, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. I want to encourage you, if you find yourself really struggling with contentment and walking in humility, run to Jesus because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and tried. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be alone. He even knows what it's like to be sinful, not because he sinned, but the Bible says that God took, who, took him who had no sin and he became sin for us. He took all of our sin upon us. He knows what it's like to be human in every way. And because of that, when we are tempted and tried, when we struggle with walking in contentment, we can run to him and bow at his feet. We can pour our lives out to him, not only in worship, but also in prayer. And he will lift us us up because he is the great high priest. And it says in Hebrews chapter four, when we approach his throne with boldness, he will give us grace and we will find mercy because he's not a God who condemns, but he gets down on our level. Just like when we see fathers and mothers get down on their knee or actually sit on the floor with little babies, little toddlers, and they hug them and they play with them and they wrap them up in their arms. They're not here today, but I love watching little Levy Denning worship. She's two years old. She spins right here where Brimley is sitting. And that ministers to me almost more than anything. Sorry, Terrell. But it does. Watching the joy that Jesus has given this little baby and God commands us to be like little children. Going back to contentment, I want to encourage everybody to stand. There's a couple questions I want to ask you guys just in response. And Chris, this is the very last slide. It's our response. Some of these questions I've already asked. Is there a difference between happiness and joy? How do you find joy in any circumstance, especially the hard ones? How do you find joy and contentment in every circumstance, especially the hard ones? how do we confront this issue of if only? If only I had, if only I did, if only they didn't. And then the last question is, where do you need Christ's strength this week? My prayer for each and every one of us is we would be able to declare and live out what Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter four, that we had learned and understand what it's like to rejoice, that we would be content in all circumstances, that we would know that in Christ, we can do all things and that we can truly understand that we have not only a high priest, but Jesus, our savior and friend. He empathizes and has sympathy with our weaknesses. And he will comes alongside us and he not only walks with us but he actually carries us as we close with this last song let's worship him let's praise him members of our prayer team will be over here if you need prayer want prayer we would love to pray with you let's pray father we thank you so much for this wonderful awesome day and jesus we praise you that you are a great high priest father teach us to rejoice in you regardless of circumstances Teach us to be content in abundance and in need. Help us know that we can do all things in you, Jesus, because you give us strength. And may we see you as the great high priest who has sympathy and compassion for each and every one of us. We love you and we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.